Colossians chapter 1. So as I was thinking about this day and kind of what it means to especially our, our senior class, but, but also to all of us as we look ahead to the summer, um, I wanted to give a kind of charge or kind of ideas moving forward that uh, would be applicable for all of us. And so um, you know, the title of the message this morning is just moving forward because we're thinking about the summer, or we're thinking about graduating or having just graduated, we're thinking about what's next. We're coming to the end of a season and we're moving to another one and Um, specifically for our graduating seniors, they're about to embark on this next step in this life journey and they continue to grow into maturing adults and we with them continue to grow. Now, I mentioned this yesterday at uh, a graduation uh, commencement, but when I was your age, when I was in junior high and high school, I did not plan to grow as a young believer, that that wasn't really something on my mind. There wasn't a, uh, a desire really or a, a motivation to say, I want to be more faithful to Jesus. I want to be more knowledgeable of his word. I want to grow in my faithfulness to his commands. I, I didn't really have that. I was busy thinking about other things, good things, fine things, but things nonetheless that distracted me from what's most important. And so my growth as a junior high and a high school student who was following the Lord and had believed in Christ and and was a a, a Christian, my growth happened in in spurts and kind of fits and starts. There would be small seasons of things that happened that would cause me to grow and then longer seasons where it seemed really stagnant. Things like things weren't really seeming to happen. And so I want to go to Colossians chapter 1 with you. It's one of my favorite texts in Scripture for believers. And I want to show you uh, four ideas or four pursuits that all of us should take to heart, and especially for our graduating class as they move on to the next season and stage of life. So let's read Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, before we go any further, it is vital that we understand that Paul is talking to Christians in this letter. And so for what I'm about to say to you, none of it will be profitable. None of it will be actually, truly, eternally helpful to you unless we begin with what is most fundamentally important. And that is, have you been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son? Because if not, you're about to hear these four pursuits that 
will seem like I need to do something in order to get something from God that I don't have. And that is not what Paul is saying. And that's not what I'm saying. And so we have to start here. We have to begin for our graduates and for all of our youth with a right relationship with God that comes through believing the gospel and obtaining the redemption that only Jesus offers, the forgiveness of our sins that only Jesus offers to all those who would just come. So you just need to ask yourself that question just right now. Have I been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son? Do I have a share in the inheritance with the saints in light? If the answer is yes, and you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he ascended to heaven, then everything that you will face in this life has a new context. And that context is the one who rose from the dead has promised that everything will be okay. When, when worries and anxieties and fears and frustrations and sorrows and doubts and hardships come, if you are in the kingdom of his beloved son, the resurrected Jesus, the new context for your life is this is hard, this is painful, I'm sorrowful, I don't understand, but he has promised that everything will be fine, that everything will be okay in the end. And if that's true for you, then these four pursuits that I want to charge you with, I believe will lead to increasing joy in your life and increasing treasuring of God in your life. In other words, it will make you more of who God has created you to be. But if your answer to that question is no, I have not been moved, then if you hear anything this morning, my, my hope and my prayer and my charge to you is you can if you want to. All you have to do is come to Jesus. All you have to do is turn from your sin. All you have to do is rest in the Savior. But we're talking to Christians, according to this letter to the Colossians. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into our four pursuits, all right? God in heaven, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, would you give me words to speak that are in accordance with your word, faithful to it. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would soften our hearts and minds to be molded and shaped by the word of God, that we would leave from this place loving you more deeply and excited to follow you more faithfully. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. All right, pursuit number one for our graduates especially, but for all of us, pursue the love of God. Pursue the love of God. Now, this may seem a little odd to you because if you go and read this passage again, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, the love of God isn't really mentioned. So why am I starting here? What's mentioned in this passage is a desire of Paul for the church in Colossae to increase in their knowledge of God and their knowledge of his will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
But listen to John 17, verse 3. Jesus says when he's praying, and this is eternal life. Talking to his father, he says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Here's my point. When we come to know God, we will experience the blessings of eternal life that comes from the God who is love. So when we grow in our knowledge of God, we will grow in our understanding and our experience of his love. What's also mentioned in this passage are some of the ways this loving God has seen fit to bless his sons and daughters. And if we have eyes to see the ways that God continually blesses us, our love for him will increase and our vision of his love for us will become more and more clear. So just look with me in this passage. Verse 9, God gives us wisdom. When you don't know what to do and you need wisdom for your life, where do you go? Well, ultimately, you go to the God who is wisdom and he gives us wisdom. Verse 9, verse 10, he helps us to work and to bear fruit. So he's not just helping us to do the thing, but he's helping us to do a thing in such a way that provides a benefit. We're not just spinning our wheels as Christians, but the loving blessings of God empowers us to do things well, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. We're bearing fruit in our work. Verse 11, he strengthens us with his power. So this God who rules and reigns over all things has seen fit to empower you. Like poor, needy you, weak and broken you. He gives you strength to be faithful to what he's called you to do. Verse 11, further down, he leads us into patience with joy. He provides for us the means that we need to be able to live this life joyfully and patiently. More on that in a little bit. We'll we'll drill into that one. Verse 12, he produces gratitude in us, right? Giving thanks to the Father. He's the one who who produces gratitude in us so that we can live out our lives not frustrated and sour about the things going on in our life, but instead thankful, grateful, showing gratitude to him above all for the way that our life is. Continuing in verse 12, he gives us an inheritance. He qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He blesses us with eternal reward. Verse 13, he delivers us from sin and death and into the kingdom of Christ. And verse 14, he forgives us of our sins and redeems us. This God loves us. He loves you. And this, this, this one passage is just a snapshot of an entire written revelation that says the same thing 
over and over and over again. We hear that a lot, but I just want you to maybe stop for a moment and really consider what it might mean. Think about maybe a person that you have a strained relationship with. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Or maybe it's a, a, a person that you used to be really close to. Maybe as a, a close friend that you've kind of grown farther apart. What would it mean in the ambiguity and the fogginess of that relationship and maybe the tensions that exist for that person to just get really close to you and just say, hey, I want you to know, I love you. Like, do you know that? Like, how would that make you feel? Now consider you and I were traitors who had committed treason against a king who is righteous and holy and just, who calls us into his throne room and we know that he knows. And instead of the gallows and instead of exile and instead of execution and instead of a lifelong sentence in prison, he gets really close to us and puts his hands on our face and says, do you know that I love you? Don't miss this. We hear this all the time, but God loves us. So pursue that love, read and think and feel and speak and do all the sorts of things that you and I as believers can do to grow in our grasp of what it means that God loves us. And as we do that, it will produce something in us. And that leads me to our second charge. Number two, pursue a life of holiness, a life of holiness. Paul often uses journey language to talk about our salvation when he's writing his letters. And here he uses the idea of walking. So we're going somewhere, right? If we're gonna walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, then we're walking, we're moving from one place to another. As we've moved from darkness to light, we want to walk into that light and towards the light. So if Jesus, John chapter 8, is the light of the world, and Revelation 21 and 22, this city of God, this new Jerusalem, is this city of light that there's not even a need for a sun or a moon because God is there, and we're moving towards that city, we're moving out of the darkness and into the light, that means there's a practical application to an increase in knowledge in in this passage, and that is a changed life. We're to walk, we're to live in such a way that we could be called, as Paul says, worthy of the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're earning some kind of right standing by our actions. It's not like, well, if you move in this direction farther along enough, then God will love you. That's not what it means at all. That doesn't mean we're earning some kind of right standing by our actions. It's that we're living in the reality of who we really are in Christ. Because we are now children of light. So we live and walk in the light. We don't go back to the darkness. 
All those blessings that God gives to each of us that we talked about in our first pursuit are displays of his glory and his goodness. So when you walk in his strength, you're finding yourself moving towards holiness. When you endure, when your patience is marked by joy, when you refuse to live and walk in the darkness as you once did, all of this is the pursuit of holiness. Why is he strengthening us? Why is he filling our hearts with gratitude? Why is he giving us patience? Because we're moving out of darkness into light. Do not think that this conformity to a new kingdom and a new way of life will be easy or comfortable. It will often feel like learning, which is tough, right? Like when you go to a class, like I don't know if you've ever experienced this, maybe younger students, maybe not, maybe our older students you have, but maybe you've been a part of a class where like you start a new section, maybe you're like, I don't know, uh, physics or chemistry or algebra, whatever. And you start a new section and you're like, is the teacher speaking a different language right now? Like, did what happened? Like, I, I was tracking and then something happened and now I feel like I'm on a different planet. That, that gap that you feel when you're sitting in that classroom hearing that teacher speak, where you're like, I know some of these words, but there are things that they're talking about that I just don't have a grasp on. Your awareness of that gap between what you know and what that teacher is trying to tell you, that feeling is called learning. Learning. Because what you're trying to do in that moment is saying, I want to make that gap smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And as you pursue holiness you will regularly be inundated with the reality that we live before a gap. And the more that I look at Jesus and the more that I see his righteousness and the more that I see his love and his goodness, I'm becoming more and more aware of, oh, that is not me. I don't think that way. I don't live that way. I don't just automatically respond that way, but I feel this gap and I wanna be over there, not here. So it's going to be tough and it's going to feel even unnatural at times. But if we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit, then we are to do the Spirit-empowered work. Strengthened by Him, we get out there and we do it. We train our hands to do what is wise and right and good. We train our minds to think about whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. We train our hearts to desire and to delight in what God loves and delights in. That means that if you are going to be faithful to Christ and pursue holiness, you will have to put away some thoughts some behaviors, maybe some relationships, some goals, some desires, and more. Later on in the letter, Paul calls this practice putting off the old self. And it means then that we will also put on the new self of Jesus as we walk in holiness with him. So we pursue the love of God and we pursue holiness. Is there sin gripping your heart? Kill it. 
Is there bitterness that has made root in your soul? Kill it. Are there patterns of thought that lead you away from righteousness and into sin and debauchery? Kill it. And don't think that that has to be done in isolation in your own teeth gritting strength. You've been given brothers and sisters who are not surprised when you say that you are a sinner because so are they. And when we feel the tension of what is and what will be, where we are and where we're headed, we can remember the third pursuit that I have for us. So number three, pursue a heart of contentment. Pursue a heart of contentment, not just as it relates to our to our holiness, not just as it relates to our pursuing the love of God, but in every sphere of our life. As we pursue the love of God and a life of holiness, throughout it all, our life will be tough. We'll feel behind. We'll feel the lack of something that we desire that we don't have. Or we'll feel the frustrations of having something we don't want. But what's important in this passage as we pursue a heart of contentment? Look at verse 11. Paul is asking God that the church would be strengthened with all power. How? According to his glorious might. Not according to Paul's ideas. Not according to the church's perceptions. But according to God's glorious might. And then, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. So we're going to get to this in a minute, but Paul is praying these things. He says, unceasingly for this church. So unceasingly, Paul is saying, church, would you be strengthened according to how God needs you and wants you to be strengthened? And would you always be able to give thanks to him? What does that tell us? First, it tells us that God knows what you need. He knows what you need. He does not withhold from you like a mean, capricious, vindictive overlord. He cares for you. And second, we can choose to be grateful and content for what we do have. If we would just stop and think about the bigger picture, about what has been promised by God that he's going to do in us and for us, then the circumstances that bring us real pain and sorrow will not be completely alleviated in a moment. It's not like, God, I trust you and I know that you're good and I should be content in all things, but I really feel this burden, burden gone. That's not, that's magic. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. I'm not saying that, that choosing contentment and gratefulness means that our sorrows will just evaporate in a moment, but they will be seen more clearly for what they are. And that is, according to the scriptures, light momentary afflictions not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. It's a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute choice to lean into Jesus and to choose to be content in him regardless of the circumstances 
in the moment. So when you are failing at school, or when you are in huge trouble over a massive mistake in your job, he is delighting in you and sanctifying you. When you long for a spouse or a child or a home, he is there providing for you. When you lose someone close to your heart, which you will, When you are devastated by loss, he remains and he holds us. So we can pursue a heart of contentment. And if we think about these pursuits, the love of God, a life of holiness, a heart of contentment, then we will quickly get overwhelmed. Even as believers, we're going to get overwhelmed at the idea that We're supposed to be doing these things all the time. We can't. We cannot do it in our own strength. And that leads us to the final pursuit. So number four, last thing for this morning, pursue a pattern of prayer. Pursue a pattern of prayer. Paul begins this section that I've read with an easy to overlook phrase. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We can't do this in one sense because the word of God written is the word of God written to the church. And so what God has for us is right in front of us. But just as a little experiment for a moment, think about being a teenager in the church at Colossae in the first century. You were planted by Paul. I you, you were in a town that for however many generation after generation after generation has been blinded by sin and paganism and false worship and wickedness. And this person comes and tells you, hey, actually the whole universe and all of history and everything that you could possibly imagine is all summed up in this. God has made this place and we have broken it by sin, and he sent his son to die and to rise and to offer life forever and ever for those who will choose to follow him. And you and your family says, I didn't know that that's what I've been looking for for my whole life, but that's it. And you begin to follow Jesus, and you begin to listen to this Apostle Paul, and you begin to hear from the scriptures, and you begin to grow in your knowledge. And and as that happens, more and more clearly, the world in Colossae around you becomes increasingly unlike what you and your family is like. And now the relationships that you had at school look different because you're no longer with them in the ways that you were before. Now the, the relationships for your parents, their jobs is different because those relationships are not what they once were. And the way that the world looks at your family and looks at you and looks at your practices is different. And you begin to feel this pressure just mounting on you over and over again. And it feels like you are about to burst. And Paul writes you a letter and says, I have not stopped praying for you. Ever since I heard, I haven't stopped. 
You need to pursue a vibrant prayer life before the Lord. And you can start that right now. I'm convinced that often we don't pray because we don't think it does anything. And we don't think it does anything because we don't think it because it doesn't do what we want it to do. Because oftentimes when we pray, we're thinking of the Disney movie Aladdin. We're thinking, if I could just like call on this genie God and say the right words, then all of my wildest dreams will come true, no questions asked. And then they don't. You're like, well, what's that for? Remember what we learned this year in our equipping groups this fall. Prayer is where we go not to be good, not to just get stuff, but to be honest. The Lord has seen everything he's about to hear. So you can share your whole heart with him when you pray. Even if that heart is, God, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk to you right now because my life is in shambles. Because that friend seems to hate me right now. My parents are about to get a divorce. And I don't understand anything going on in school. And I just don't feel like I have a grasp on anything in my life. Why would I want to talk to you right now? He can handle that. So we pray. We pray the word. We pray to begin our day. We pray to end our day. We make rhythms that we can consistently practice. And just by a side note, for all of these pursuits and all of these disciplines, let me just give you a very practical thing to keep in mind. It is better, always better, to be consistently good than occasionally great. You need to like store that deep in your brain and in your heart. It is better. It is always better to be consistently good than occasionally great. So think about what it might look like for you as you grow in pursuing a pattern of prayer. What is something that I can very reasonably, consistently discipline myself to practice? Is it, before I go to bed, I'm going to spend five minutes when I'm brushing my teeth to pray. Great. That's five minutes more than you probably were praying. And over a lifetime of 50, 60 years of following Jesus, that's a lot of minutes. And that might produce a rhythm in you that when you're done brushing your teeth and as you lay your head down on the pillow, you might still be talking to him. But think about what it might look like to be consistent in something. Instead of, instead of just saying, I'm going to spend the next four hours praying for everything that I can possibly think of, and 12 minutes in, you're like, I don't know what else to say. And now I feel like a failure because I gave myself four hours, and I'm like, I'm out. I'm tapped out. Be consistently good. You need to pursue a vibrant prayer life before the Lord, and you need Paul's to be praying for you and investing in your life. And students, graduates, whether you stay here at Lakeview or you go off to another city and find another church, you will find these Pauls and the help for all your other pursuits in the family of God. Just knowing 
that someone is praying for me is a game changer for my heart. So when I'm feeling lonely or if I'm feeling weak or if I'm feeling tempted, there are people in my life that I know, whether it's 9.30 on a Saturday or 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, I can shoot them a message and say, man, I'm really, I'm really struggling. Will you pray? And they will. And they will. And since you need people like that in your life, and for many of you, that's your mom and dad. Like, that's the first people that you should go to. It's like, mom, I'm, I'm struggling right now. This is really hard. Can you just pray for me? And that picture and that, that experience that I have is a sweet reminder of the picture that Paul gives about members of a body working together, bearing burdens, loving, caring for, and encouraging one another. So remember what you learned in our spring equipping groups. We cannot be isolated Christians and expect to walk in a flourishing of health and growth. We need one another. So as you think about these pursuits, pursuing the love of God, pursuing a life of holiness, pursuing a heart of contentment, pursuing a pattern of prayer, whether you're about to embark on the next stage of your life in college or a trade or whatever, or you're just ready for the summer of a kind of a shift in your uh, schedule, what if you just said, hey, for these next two months, there are other good things worthy of pursuing. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these my pursuits. I'm going to pursue the love of God. I'm going to pursue a life of holiness. I'm going to pursue a heart that is training to be content in all things. I'm going to pursue a pattern of consistent prayer in my life. What can you imagine might the Lord do in your life and in the life of this church and in the lives of the churches that you will go to when you go from this place. Only he knows. But I am convinced that it will lead us to joy, and it will lead us to growth, and it will lead us to treasuring the one who is supremely worthy to be treasured. And I hope that that's what you want. That's what I want for you.